Welcome to the KPC Podcast. This week's message is from Pastor Steve Keller. We are now going back to uh, our Old Testament sermon series, uh, Biblical Characters Before Christ, more affectionately known as BC Squared. And uh, today's characters come to us from the first chapter of Exodus, okay? So this is way back in, uh, in Scripture, very, very early in the Old Testament. And today we're going to look at two women whose names are foreign to most of you, okay? These names are going to be foreign. That's okay because they are actually foreign names. Uh, we're going to talk about Shifra and Pua. And um, though their story is chronicled for us in, in the first chapter of Exodus, it begins a whole lot earlier in Scripture, okay? We have to go back into Genesis for, for what is really the start of their story. And it begins with God's promises to three men in the Old Testament. Now, these are names you've heard, okay? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, in, in Genesis, God gave the same promise, essentially, to all three of these, these men. Um, in Genesis 15, 18 through 21, Genesis 26, 3, and Genesis 28, 13, God repeats this same promise that at some point in the future, He is going to give a home to these people known as the Jews, the Israelites, okay? Uh, for right now, they're left waiting, but God has promised them that they will have a place as a nation. Um, and the name is very fitting. It's called the promised land, all right? So remember, they have a promise, and so far all they've been doing is waiting for this promise, looking to this promise, praying into this promise. And so sometime later, okay, after the promise is given to Jacob, the last of these three patriarchs in the Old Testament, a young man comes along, and his name is Joseph. And this is the Old Testament Joseph, all right? Uh, he is actually the son of Jacob, and he, he's a young man who very early, we discover, has got a destiny. He has got this gigantic, God-given, promised destiny, and it is a great, great thing that God is going to do in his life. Now, God has shown this young man through dreams that one day he is going to rule, okay? And I don't mean he's going to rule, you know, in some little sliver of influence. This young, is, this young man is going to have incredible authority, incredible power. In fact, in one of his dreams, we learn that even his own family will bow down to him. So that's what's hanging over Joseph's life. But then if you know the story, the next about 13 years of his life, okay? So about a decade of his life. And listen, when you're young, um, you know, when you get older like me, time just goes, you know? I mean, a decade, I could blink and a decade would be gone. When you're young, time moves so slow. A decade in a young man's life, it is like an eternity. And it's not just like Joseph is kind of waiting for God to do this and checking his calendar. Joseph spends the next 12 years in this wonderful combination of slavery and jail. So how's that? You know, God's given you a promise, and here you are locked up. By the way, the way Joseph is feeling, Joseph is kind of, a, he's kind of a spokesman or a parallel for the whole nation of Israel. This is what's been happening with Israel with this waiting. But then finally one day, God delivers Joseph. 
And wow, does God give him authority. Oh my goodness. The, I mean, who would have guessed that he would have ended up as Pharaoh's number two man? He has authority over everything and, and everybody, even his own family, along with the, the rest of the Israelites, um, they move to, uh, to Egypt as well and they settle. So that brings us now to today's passage, to Exodus chapter 1, where we read these words. And by the way, hundreds of years have passed since Joseph. Verses 6 and 7. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. But the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and they became so numerous that the land, and this is the land of Egypt, was filled with them. Okay, so, so again, we have partial good news. The partial good news is they are filling the land. Uh, the problem is this still is not their land. They're still waiting. Now, little does Israel know that home ownership is just around the corner for them. Historically speaking, they are this close to this promised land. And believe it or not, folks, it all begins with these two unlikely women from this passage. Their names are Shifra and Pua. It all begins with them. They are the beginning of Israel's rise to freedom and their deliverance. So let me pray for us. And uh, then let's dig into these, uh, the, the story of these two women. Father God, in Jesus' name, you love taking that which is small and that which is insignificant, that which is so weak in the eyes of the world, and you love to pour strength and identity and power and destiny. And Lord, what we are going to see today, we are going to see two women do what no one could ever do with every resource on earth. But God, you're going to bring heaven crashing into a passage. You're going to bring your power, your might, and your beautiful plan. And God, I pray that as we hear the story of Shifra and Pua, Lord, there will be a fundamental shift inside of every one of us today in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. There are two important facts to understanding Shifra and Pua, okay, this, this Exodus chapter 1. Without these two facts, the story doesn't do what it ought to do. So let me make sure we all understand these two things. Number one, in Exodus chapter 1, Egypt is the most powerful nation on earth, without question, all right? Their power, their power is unparalleled. The, I mean, they are far and above the greatest nation uh, in the world at that time, politically, in terms of military might, all of that. So, that makes their Pharaoh the most powerful ruler on earth, okay? And when you add to that, that the Egyptians believed that the Pharaohs were all appointed by their gods. You talk about prestige and status. I mean, here is a man. I mean, he has got it all when it comes to influence. There is not a, a, there isn't a realm of society that he hasn't captured and he doesn't rule over. Understand that about the nation of Egypt. And then understand this. Here's fact number two. The Jews at this time are what we would call a pastoral people, okay? 
That's what they're known as theologically. They are a pastoral people, which does not mean they went to seminary and they're all in charge of churches. What a pastoral people means is that they are a peaceful people. The Israelites are all about family. They're all about farming. They're all about shepherding, which means this. In the land of Egypt, they are peaceful citizens. They are no threat to anyone, okay? There are no rebel factions. There is no impending doom at all when it comes to the Jews toward Egypt. So now listen to this. Exodus 1, 8 through 14. Then a new king, and understand that's Pharaoh. Then a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they'll become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, they will join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they, meaning Pharaoh, put slave masters over the Israelites to oppress them with forced labor. They built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor and brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all of their harsh labor, again, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. Now, let me tell you what we just read the start of. That is the beginning of a nightmare for the Jews, okay? This, this new Pharaoh comes into power with all of this power, and he sees these Israelites. He sees their population growing, right? He, he, he sees that they're everywhere, and he gets jealous, and he sets their hearts against them. And I don't know if you know this, but this is actually the first time in recorded history that we see anti-Semitism. Okay, this is the earliest case of anti-Semitism because what Pharaoh does is he hates these people. And what he does here is he invents a storyline. We need to understand this. This is a concocted story that, that these pastoral people, oh, they're going to rise up, you know. It's, it's like that movie Bugs Life. You all saw that. The ants are going to become too numerous, and they're going to come and take over the grasshoppers. This is a complete fabrication. It is based on nothing but this man's jealousy. And so he uses that storyline, and essentially what Pharaoh was saying is, you know what we're going to do? We're going to go ahead before these people become a problem, and we are going to squeeze them out now. And he orders that they be worked bitterly, ruthlessly. Uh, and Pharaoh says, look, I want these Jews. I want them working construction. I want them building storehouse cities for us where we can take our military equipment, where we can put our grain. I want them working in the fields all day long, double shifts, in the hot sun, with slave drivers over them. I'm going to wipe them out. But what we've already read is that the plan backfires. It doesn't work because the, even though they are being worked ruthlessly and oppressed, the Word of God says the more that happens to them, the more they multiply and the more they grow. And so Pharaoh now has to go back to the drawing board, and he comes up with a new plan. And if you thought, thought the first plan was bad, well, wait till you hear what the second plan is. Verses 15 and 16, Pharaoh said, 
to the Hebrew midwives, whose name were Shifra and Puah. When you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, let her live. So we, we have this little phrase here, okay? And I know that I, I can see how that registers with y'all. It's heavy stuff. So, so we read about this, right? These, these two Hebrew midwives. And first of all, don't let that phrase throw you, okay? Um, were these two women, Shifra and Pua, Jewish? Is that what Hebrew midwives means? It could mean that, but, but it, it actually probably means this straight from the Hebrew itself, that these were midwives from Egypt who were dedicated to Hebrew childbirth. Um, from the original language, scholars cannot be sure, so we can't be sure, but nevertheless, here they are. And one thing we can tell from this passage and later on is that these two women are in charge of all of the deliveries, all the baby deliveries to, uh, to Jewish women. Now, how do we know that? Well, first of all, we have pure and simple logic, all right? These two women cannot possibly cover every childbirth in all of Egypt for a people group that are exploding in population. So, so th there's absolutely no way they are in charge of it. So here they are, the Shifra and Pua, and the most powerful leader in the whole world has just given them secret orders. And the orders, y'all, the orders are clear. Kill every baby boy born to a Jewish woman. You can blame it on the weather conditions. You can blame it on malnutrition. You can blame it on stillbirth. I don't care. I just want you to do it. Carry this thing out. Murder these children. And I know it's harsh to hear that, folks, but there's no other word for what Pharaoh has ordered than outright murder. And, and so that's Pharaoh's order. And so it makes what happens next in the story perhaps one of the bravest things you will ever hear about. Here you go, verse 17. The midwives, however, feared God, and they did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. I know there's a hallelujah in there, but on the other side of this, there is a, are you kidding me? These two women justified the most powerful ruler in the entire world at that time. Are you kidding me? Their lives are over. These women are dead. What would possess them to do such a thing? Well, we don't have to guess, do we? What possessed them to do such a thing is the fear of God. It's the fear of the Lord. And I'll give you a very simple definition here of the fear of God. Here's what it means. It means that they put their trust in God and His Word and His ways instead of putting their trust in Pharaoh and His Word and His ways. See, it's a situation where, look, they, they, they got to go one way or the other. You know, there is no fence. They, they can't straddle the middle line of the highway here. They say yes to God, which means saying no to Pharaoh, or they say yes to Pharaoh, which means saying no to God. And they say yes to God. And it is an incredible act of trust. It, 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 it is so much courage because now truly their lives are on the line. 
Now, let me tell you something really cool here. The pharaohs, uh, uh, not the pharaohs, the rabbis ask a really, really interesting question. This is a little sidetrack, but I think, I think this is worth the, uh, the side trail here for a minute. The, the, the rabbis ask a really interesting question here in 17. This is background reading and study that I do for a sermon. Usually this doesn't make it, but this is so cool. I, I just wanted you to hear this. Here's the question the rabbis ask. Why is it necessary in verse 17 for them to write, they let the boys live? Because you already know from context that they said no to Pharaoh, right? They've already, or they've already uh, uh, resisted Pharaoh. That, that they, they, uh, they didn't do his bidding. Why did they have to add they let the boys live? We sort of got that already. Here's what the rabbis say. They answer that the point is that not only did Shifra and Pua not kill the boys, Shifra and Pua actively, actively aided them to live. And the story from Talmud and Midrash is that what, what Shifra and Pua did was they got them into the world and then they went to, to, to wealthy families all around and they got food and water and they aided these poor Jewish families in bringing these kids up. I just think that's fascinating. You know, these two are amazing. And I know it's from Midrash and Talmud. We can't be 100% sure, but I tell you, that sure fits the context of this story. And it sure seems to fit the heart of these two women. But listen, either way, they are big-time heroes. These two are gigantic. These little women, you know, who were they when the story started? Look at them now. Oh, baby, y'all came a long way. It's incredible. Look at what they've done. But the story's not over. Verse 17 and 19. Then Pharaoh summoned the midwives. We all knew that was coming, didn't we? Summoned them and asked, why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's hard not to laugh through this. Hebrew, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. I, th th I think that is hilarious. So look, he here's the bottom line, okay? It's not long, in other words, before Pharaoh sees that pampers are still flying off the shelf at Walmart, okay? That's what's going on. He sees this, and so he calls in Shifra, and he calls in Pua, and he asks them why. Why is this taking place, and what do these women do? They lie to his face. They absolutely lie to Pharaoh. Look, wait, here's the thing. It's, it's these Jewish women, you know. I mean, they're like Amazon women. They're so strong, you know. I mean, it's time for a baby, and just boom, the baby's here. They lie in his face. And I know what we all think. Hey, in the Bible, you're not supposed to lie. But stop and think about this. Stop and think about this. The lives of millions of babies are at stake. And they are right in the middle of obeying God instead of a madman. Think about that. Think about that. I would say this. The ethics of war are not quite the ethics of peace anyway. But look at this. Never, and you've also got this. Here's another one. How did this whole story start? started with a lie, didn't it? All these Jews, look, look at them. You know, they're getting ready to consort with the enemy. They're getting ready to attack. Pharaoh started this with a lie. And so what does he get back? He gets a lie back. You know what that is? It's called reaping and sowing. This brother is reaping what he sowed in the very beginning. But I will tell you this. Here's what's going on with Pharaoh. He is in the process of meeting a greater force than himself. That's what's up in Exodus chapter 1. 
It's good. Isn't it wonderful? Praise God. I know I'm getting all excited here. So listen to this. Verses 20 and 21, so God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, He gave them families of their own. That's probably what most of you would have guessed, even on a first reading, happened here. And, and, and we know it. This, this is actually a spiritual law in process. And here's, here's the law. Whenever, whenever we live out the greatest commandment, when love for God and love for people come before love for ourselves, it pays off in our lives. We end up just experiencing the goodness of God in our lives. And so what God is saying to these women is, look, since you took care of my family, you're going to have families of your own. And, and I know you hear that and you go, oh, well, cool, cool, they'll have a husband and a couple of kids. That's not what God is promising. What God is saying is this, because you cared for my family, you will have families in Israel among my people, and they will be families of prominence and influence. You will be matriarchs of a legacy. That's what God is promising Shifra and Pua. And it, it, it's just so neat to see God do this. And of course, you know, like I know, the story doesn't end here, though, does it? See, what happens is this plan now has failed, okay? You, you tried Pharaoh, you lost. So uh, Pharaoh now gives a new order. And yes, the order is really like the old order, but what's new about it is that God makes the order public. He goes to the public and he says to them, look, I want this generation of Jews destroyed. I want this generation wiped out. I want these Hebrew boys dead. Everyone, throw them in the Nile River. And so you see what you're left with. It's pretty stark at the end of chapter 1. Now if Israel is going to survive, they're, they're going to have to have a champion a deliverer is going to have to rise up because, yeah, you, you got over that hurdle, but boy, look at the size of this hurdle in front of you. And yet, that is the great big twist to this whole passage because one of the boys that Shifra and Pua helped save, his name is, can anybody guess it? Moses, right? Moses. Moses, who ironically is adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, and grows up underneath Pharaoh's nose in Pharaoh's household. He ends up being Israel's deliverer. He is the champion. Look at what these two women have done. That they literally have delivered Israel's savior. It's, it's just incredible. I mean, again, these two little women, who would have thought it? Or thunk it, or whatever you're supposed to say in this moment. I mean, there you have it. So, so we have their story in Scripture, which is six verses long. It's just six verses long, but their actions, Shifra and Pua, led to the salvation of all of God's people. Their courage, their fear of the Lord led to the redemption of Israel. Isn't that great? Good, yes, I agree. So, so here's our question now. What in the world are we going to do with this? Because, you know, we really don't have any pharaohs running around. Um, you know, I haven't seen slave drivers and, and us building store cities. What do we do with this? Well, here it is. I'm going to give you two takeaways this morning, all right? Two takeaways, and you may find more. Here are two big ones, all right? Number one, here we go, church. When it comes to the sanctity of human life, 
There is absolutely no question, all right? There is no gray area, no, well, you know, I wonder if there's no what if, I no wonder if, absolutely none at all. Listen to me, whether abortion is right to some people, it is not right in God's eyes, okay? It is not, okay? Abortion might be a legal choice, but it is the wrong choice, okay? In the church of Jesus Christ, we need to be clear about that, okay? We also need to be on the right side of the debate, speaking the truth in love. I know some of y'all have been watching what's been going on in New York and in Virginia. Folks, listen, Shifra and Pua, two little women, what could they do? You have a vote. You have a voice in prayer. You, you have a voice when it, when it comes to, 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 you know, who's in charge around here, who, who, who's in power politically. We have a voice. We need to be on the right side of this as the people of God. Here's something else we need to be doing. We need to be acting and not just speaking, not just praying. We need to be acting in love towards those who are in pregnancy crisis. We, listen, and listen, I, 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 get, I, get, I get a picket sign, but we've got to be there ministering the love of Jesus to people in crisis. The church has got to be there. That's why, you know, the Walk for Life, the Bottle Campaign, those are little first steps. We've got to be, we've got to be in the game. Here's another thing we've got to be doing. For folks who have been through abortion, we need to be part of reaching out to them with the love and the healing of Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes when the church takes its stand, and we got to be clear, you know, sometimes we, we, we run the risk and, and, and we actually do this. We alienate everybody who's been through it, and they think, oh, well, you know what, boy, I can't ever show my face anywhere. Yes, you can. God redeems everything. My life was so broken before Jesus. We love you if you've been through that. There's healing for that, and the church ought to be the place where people find healing and wholeness, no matter what it is in the background of their lives, okay? So there you go. That's, that's one takeaway. Here's takeaway number two. And I'm going to introduce this using a little Walt Whitman, right? Our favorite sweaty tooth man, med man from a Dead Poet Society. Here's a line from Walt Whitman. That you are here. That life exists. That the powerful play goes on and you might contribute a verse. Hear that. In other words, don't ever underestimate the part that God has called you to play. All right? Listen, when we get into the Word, when you read the Word, there, there, some of this is personal. There is a personal calling, right? There are commands and promises over all of our lives. The Spirit of God speaking to us, right? So we've got the Word and we've got the Spirit. God speaking, God calling, God inviting. Listen, I'm going to show you what the Christian life is, all right? I'm going to illustrate it for you. How cool is this, right? You tactile learners, here you go. Here's the Christian life. It's this. We're always growing. We're always becoming. We're always upgrading. We are always being saved. God is always at work at us. So, don't hear God calling you in the Word and by His Spirit and then go, well, you know what? I can't do it. I, I, I'm a nobody. I don't matter. That is a lie. That is a lie. That's a lie. You are a child of God. 
You are a child of God. Listen to this. Do you realize that you are no different than anybody we ever read about in Scripture. And listen, I know we all do this. You know, we read about these people, and we put superhero capes on them and big S's on their chest, and we just think, oh, Paul, Moses, they were a cut above. They were born Superman. No, they weren't. Nobody. These people are so normal. It's pitiful, usually the beginning of their stories. It's usually a pitiful beginning. So when you feel that way, folks, join the club. You're a part of, I mean, this is our history as God's people. Don't do this. You know, don't do this thing where we just say, you know what, I don't have what it takes to do what God has called me to do. Um, listen, that, and by the way, that actually might be true. You may be making, making a true statement when you say that when God calls you something, you don't have what it takes. But here's the thing about God. When He calls you to something, He gifts you for it. Over and over and over again, we see this. Oh, no, well, Lord, oh, no, I can't do it, I can't do it. Listen, that doesn't work. And by the way, I've got a good example of that. There's a guy we mentioned a moment ago who tried that with God. Uh, you remember Moses, right? Go to Exodus 3 and go to Exodus 4, and, and, and here we have the burning bush moment, and God is going, come on, Moses, I've called you to be a deliverer. You're going to be my champion. You're going to go to Pharaoh. You're going to lead them out. You remember what Moses says back to God? Five times he throws excuses as God. Five times he has a little pity party. Oh, well, God, who am I? You know, God, who am I? Well, Lord, what, what, what if they don't believe me? Uh, God, you know, I, I'm not a great speaker. Read the story. What happens? That brother is awesome in Exodus. He takes those people out. God gifts and equips Moses. He does amazing things for God. And it's true for everybody else in the Word of God. You know, whether you're looking at uh, Gideon or Deborah or Daniel or Anna, you know, whether it's Peter, Paul, and Mary, not the music group, but, you know, the, 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 the Bible characters. I mean, look at them. They are so normal, just like us, just like Shifra and Pua. But they dared to believe and put their trust in the God who called them. They did what was right in his eyes versus the eyes of the world, and it was scary, and it took real courage for them, but God had a plan, and God picked them. And at the end, what happened with every one of those lives? They contributed a verse. And by the way, we are still, pun intended, we are still reading their verses, literally, aren't we? So there you go. Folks, let me tell you this. There are no minor characters in God's story. I want you to hear that so personally and so individually. There are no minor characters in God's story. I know it feels like that in the beginning. You know, Shifra and Pua, way back here, right at the very beginning of their story, you know what they probably felt like? They probably felt like extras in a movie. You know, those guys that just wander around and, you know, they, uh, that's probably what they felt like. They probably felt like background furniture on a showroom floor. But look at what they did. They obeyed God, and their obedience saved a nation. And so here's the question I have for us as a church, but this is a really individual question. It's a very personal question. Answer this yourself. What if each one of us lived our lives in the fear of the Lord like this? Trusting God instead of putting our trust in this world system. What would the church be like? Wow. I know. 
You got to dig deep for, for you're going to, we're going to run out of superlatives fast if we live that way. So let's pray about it. How? Father God, in Jesus' name, thank you for these women. Oh God, I just thank you for their story. Lord, I love, I just love that when we read your history with people, it's not about us being perfect. It's, you know, it's not about us getting our religious act together and looking a certain way and becoming eloquent and polished. It is about regular people saying yes to Jesus. And Father, when we say yes to you, you do such incredible things with our lives. God, the, 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 the stuff that we watch movies for, oh, to see the transformation, it happens to us. And Holy Spirit, we just, God, oh, Holy Spirit, we just invite you. We invite you to meet us very personally today. We just, just pray that you would come and just pull out anything that is, is bringing up doubt and fear and disillusion and discouragement. God, I pray even right now that you would erase lies in the minds of people. Father, I pray that today we would hear who we are. We are the children of the living God. Father, we, we are priests. We're kings spiritually. Lord, we're an incredible force. And Lord, I'm asking you to launch us. Lord, I, the church for so long has been so silent. The church as a whole across this nation has just been so dormant. You know, we, we've been like, uh, like uh, Cyrano, just charging windmills, Lord. And yet what we could do, saying yes to you and the things of God with this incredible, outrageous love of yours, this, this unbridled, unstoppable power that is yours, God, working through normal people. Father, we just want to be like Isaiah who uh, ran into you. And uh, he said, here am I, Lord, send me. Here am I, Lord, use me. Here I am. Father, in Jesus' name, we just raise the hands of our heart and say, here we are, Lord. And if we need to be cleaned up or, you know, rewired or healed, whatever you need to do to use us, God, you're going to do that because that is who you are. You are this God we sang about today that is just resurrecting me. And there's a whole bunch of me's in this room, Lord. Do that in Jesus' name, Holy Spirit. We're yours. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to the KPC Podcast. For more messages and information, visit kpc.org.